Hi everyone, it's Joaquim Makren, your host of the Elite Game Developers Podcast. A podcast about the entrepreneurs and investors who are building the games companies of the future. In today's episode, I'm interviewing a friend of mine, my ex-colleague, Toko Tahkokallio, uh, who was a designer on games like Heyday, Boom Beach, and he ran the team of Brawl Stars at Supercell. And he's now doing his own studio in Helsinki with a group of very experienced game developers. In this discussion with Toko, we talk about his learnings from creating games, both board games and video games, and how he sees teams or pairs of excellent individuals working together to create these games. All right, we're recording. Hi, Toko. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hello. Thanks. Great to be here. Great. Yeah, we were just like before we started recording, talking about this Joe Rogan with Steve Jobs AI podcast. I, I don't know how we prove that we're not AI. <laughs> <laughs> so stupid enough jokes, I think. <laughs> yeah, audience feel yeah. different. Yeah, probably that will help. Yeah, it's it's a funny world we're living in nowadays. So, but man, let's kick this off. Um, in three minutes, can you share your origin story with the audience and? how you got where you are today so yeah i i actually when i was younger my my kind of passion was about understanding the world and, and really like understanding what's the fundamentals behind and behind like fundamental laws behind the nature and i thought i would be a physicist and i i was a physicist actually uh studying theoretical physics and and uh doing some research on that field and I, I never like thought that I would be a game developer, actually. And I, I of course, always played a lot of games and, and did some stuff there, but it wasn't on my mind that, hey, actually, you could be a game, game developer even. But at, yeah, at some point, I started really spending much more time in games and making games than, than thinking about physics. So that was very natural for me. And kind of my love for games or making games actually came from board games side. I, I kind of found the modern Euro board games at some point and started playing them. Uh, but also like really studying them and, and designing my own games. And I spent a lot of time just listening podcasts and design podcasts and, and reading stuff on online and doing my own games and exploring those. And that led, to, led me to do a lot of board game stuff. And then some of my friends asked me to, hey, like, should, would I be interested in digital uh, development? And uh, I said, okay, why not give it a go? And that led, led to me here. So uh, yeah, it was kind of, I think life takes you to different places. You are not maybe thinking beforehand but uh, it's it's been quite the journey and quite cool cool to work on games i must say nice nice uh, and maybe yeah maybe about the kind of companies uh, so i've i've done a lot of board games and it's still like a hobby for me as i think the like physics and math stuff is still also a hobby for me but like i've spent my career at supercell i i started, joined that in 2011 and uh, spent there over 10 years and now i've uh, kind of just Started a new new journey and started a new studio with with wildlife and I'm happy to happy to tell you more about it of course. Nice, yeah. There's so much to unpack here. I, I wanted to kind of talk about today's situation where you are actually starting a new studio together with Serdar, who I've known for a long time as well uh, here in Helsinki. It would be great to hear about your discussion on how 
this studio came about, what kind of studio you're building and what kind of culture you want want to set up? Great question. So I really enjoyed my time at Supercell and I think like these independent teams are, are super, uh, creative independent teams are kind of really great tool and great way to make great games. And when I heard about the whole whole setup that Wildlife is, is having, I, I thought like that's, that's like a really cool way to, to do things. And I was really much like how I was thinking that kind of uh, was kind of optimal, at least for me, like from, from development point of view. And uh, so the, our idea with, with Serdar and with all the rest of the team here is that we are kind of creative independent studio working on, on new, new games. And uh, we get a lot of support from wildlife, starting from tech and marketing and all of that. And uh, we get to focus on the, on the development, development side and really focus on the core gameplay. So how we are thinking about this with Serdar and, and, and everyone else here is that we are more like exploring new type of gameplay and try to find like what's, what's a super cool, <laughs> cool game and, and core of a game and then start building on top of that. And hopefully we will make a lot of ex- exploration on different genres and game, games types and, and mechanics. And hopefully when we find something that really feels great, we, we can kind of, that's a good foundation to start building like a big, a big game around it. And I think like what makes this industry nowadays so interesting and, and also challenging is that like making big games, there's, there's so many things involved in there. And if you want, want to and try to manage all of that yourself, you are suddenly, you have a huge organization running all kind of different operations at the same time. And I think what is great with this setup is that we actually get to focus on the on the development part and really making the great game. And then we get a lot of support. So this whole kind of setup felt felt good to me and Serdar. And yeah, that's that's kind of got, got us here. And and maybe about like how, how we, I of course know Serdar, but I haven't worked with him before joining this. But like we just, Wildlife actually just pointed me that, hey, would you be interested in this, working with this guy? And I said like, oh my God, that would be awesome. And we spent a lot of time together, like uh, understanding how we think about stuff and, and development in general and spending time together and it felt like a very natural fit so i, I i'm super excited to work with him and the rest of the team on new nice. games nice yeah that's amazing amazing stuff it's so interesting to be in in this moment where you're trying to to figure out like what kind of game you want to make and this brings me into into the topic that i really want to focus on today is game creation and i know this is like a big question but i i have to ask you like you've been part of building many successful games in your career how would someone go about making a great game what what is essential in your mind yeah i I don't think there's any one formula for it to be honest i i think there's a different ways to make great games but i I can of course tell you about like how i think about it or how i feel like is at least a very good way to do it i hope and i i think i think it all depends also like what type of games you are trying to make and what's what's the audience and so forth so it's it's not a simple answer, I'm afraid. But like, let's say you are doing something a bit more experimental or something new. I, I think it's it's very valuable to have a small core team that that are devoted to make the, make the game work and make make the game to be as best as it can be. And usually, it can be like just few people. I don't know, one, two, three, four. Depends on how depends on the team. I, I think, but like few people who really work well together and uh, kind of, in a sense. I would say own own the vision for the game, and uh, of course, like the whole team, I think is important that that holds the vision of the game. But I I think it's if it's if it's a big team and they all try to own it in the same way, it's kind of impossible. So someone or or few people owning the vision and and pushing it to certain direction, and uh, of course, like being being willing to stop develop, development if it doesn't work or or to pivot to a new direction but i, I yeah I, I think that's super important to be flexible on the journey once you 
even if you have a certain starting point, be kind of open-minded, humble about it, and just try to see if it works. And if it doesn't, like then go back and, and change something. How would you approach picking people into this kind of few people team? What are the key elements there? I think it's also always, of course, depends on, I don't think you can have like a bucket list, like you need to have this and that and, and so on. So it's very much depends who you have and, and what, so what are the needs you need to fill in. But I, I do think like there needs to be people who, who think holistically about the game, who think about the kind of the design, the monetization, all, all at the same time. And then you need to, of course, have people who are great and fast executing stuff and also have this mindset of kind of going back and forth in a sense and iterate it, but also having the guts to stick. When, when there's some unknowns in front of you, like really push forward and uh, try to, yeah, it's it's sometimes hard to know. Like I think this is the hardest in game development to know like when you should be pushing forward and when you should go back and do something mm. else. Like making that call is the hardest. And sometimes it needs this guts that you just trust that, hey, this is what we are doing. It's going to be great. It's not great yet, but if we push forward, it will be great. And at the same time, sometimes you just waste a lot of time if you push forward and, and you are, you don't actually have anything there. And like understanding where, what, where you are and what you should do, I think that is the hardest call to make. Think about like a concept of, hey, is there a game that you specifically want to build that you know really well or that you know what needs to be built next versus something that is iterative from something that is already out there. Do you have thoughts about like which one of those approaches? Can it be iterative? Can it be, or should it more be about like this, hey, we start from zero and we come up with a cool, totally innovative thing. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts yeah. on that? Yeah, it's a good question. I think there's like two, at least generally speaking, there's like two, two, at least two different ways to think about it. Like one is to seeing an opportunity and seeing a lot of reference games and somehow like perfecting what's already there. And I think that type of team structure probably can be very different than from a more like an innovation team that is trying to do something else. And I think the approach is to development in those two two different extreme versions probably should be very different as well. So if I kind of talk more about the exploration explorative development side i think there you need some guts like in a sense to really mm. feel like this in my head it plays out nicely you kind of prototype in your head and, and you mm. feel like this could be working and then you need some boldness to push forward and test it out and be brutal about it and i think that is harder to have like if, if you are more like exploring a new new stuff i think it is more important there's like maybe few vision holders that are, are really sharing the vision of the of the product and willing to make those bets and, and push it forward and see if this this idea that's kind of all only in your head or only on a paper would it will it work out and but if you are more like doing an established channel and just perfecting what out there i think the development pipeline and all like the team structure and everything can be quite different and then it's more about building building already what you know and then iterating on top of that and like making perfect perfecting it but like if you're truly doing something new, I think you can't just get it by iteration. You need to have these kind of bold, gutsy bits and try them out. And of course, like usually what, what I've seen, like what happens, I, I had this kind of reference or comparison to, to being in a jungle, like you're adventuring and you have like a vague idea where to go and you have kind of vision what you want to do there. But in practice, like once you start the journey, usually like you, you notice that certain things that you were thinking about they didn't work as you wanted or, or you were thinking and then you need to take that input and revisit the whole whole path to the kind of whatever your goal is and uh, 
but kind of keep at the same time open-minded in terms of is this actually working what I'm thinking but like also being gutsy on the fact that it is something new and we need to push a bit farther because there's no like a clear reference out there that we can compare to or iterate so kind of combination of open-mindedness and then this conviction this pushing forward mentality that it will work out in the end let's just make it make it work <laughs> yeah do you, do you think that like you know you're in, you're in the jungle and you see these paths where you're going down a path which will lead you to maybe some answers on like if this path will lead to to a great place or not do you think that before you start that path how much can you do the work in inside your head yeah, about yeah. these pathways like do you think that like people who are better at knowing early on to not jump on the path are going to be more successful or is there always like a prototyping phase which you need to go through to reveal things yeah yeah i would definitely think there needs to be a prototyping phase to prove it but i think you can win a lot and save a lot of these dead ends and all kind of avoid the dead ends if you have a good plan and uh so yeah i think good designers in my mind they can kill already a lot of bad ideas in their head like prototype already in their head so that they know okay this this stuff we shouldn't do this this there's sort of already problems here but i think even the best designers i don't think they can see everything and and every designer i feel like there needs to have a question marks in their head that they want to get validated by the prototype and kind of prioritizing those question marks and building a prototype that will validate their concerns or kind of prove if the starting point and if the vision can it work like you need to prove those certain steps and that's that's super i think important and valuable but definitely you can kill a lot of ideas and try to find the best path already in your mind and i think that's very important in Mm. avoiding those mistakes and wasting time like you are seeing in, in, in a games company, a team working working on a, on a concept where it is very early. How do you give feedback from the outside so that it can have the most impact for them to actually know what they're doing next? That's a, that's a super good question. And I think it depends so much on the team that's working on the game and how they think about it. I've noticed that like some people are more open to questioning and some people are or kind of seeking for that advice outside and if they have that mindset it's much easier to give an input or some some meaningful feedback but in some cases there might be that they are they are not so open about it and then i think like maybe the best way is just to pose questions to be honest i'm i'm not <laughs> very good at myself mm. in the past i i tend to always like hey i think you have an issue and i have an idea how to fix it type of mentality but i've noticed that it's not so easy like some people and sometimes, and, may, and many times, I think like, they come from from point of view that they just actually understand the product better than than you do. So they might have a point about it, and they might be true. And you you are just coming outside, and and you have an idea, and maybe it's not totally wrong, but you are kind of missing a bigger picture. So I, I think that can be also the case. But but definitely giving feedback and advice, it's it's difficult. And I think also you could have to have to understand that. Games are so complicated. It is hard to explain everything. And I, sometimes you just need to trust people that, okay, they are kind of, maybe they don't know what they are doing, but they have an idea and which is bigger than few words or few prototype ideas. And that's kind of the full vision and holistic idea how the game will work. And kind of trusting that, I think it's super important as well. But, but maybe the posing the question, hard questions or posing some question marks, I think that can help people to 
pinpoint, oh, I didn't think about that. That's true. And that's a good point, way to start a conversation with somebody. Hmm. One of the, the concepts that I'm I'm trying to give feedback on is if I see somebody kicking a can down the road, you know, that they they don't want to confront something that is gonna derail maybe the, the whole project in, in three months if they continue and like highlighting those as early as possible is something I'm trying to develop as a you know, some navigating those landmines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wanted to ask you about this concept that I remember Ilka was talking about in one blog post a while ago called Magical Pairs. This kind of goes back into, as you're talking about, as like a few people working together and holding the vision and everything. Like you've experienced that a lot. Can you more elaborate on why you think like two people work really well together? Yes, I've definitely had a good experience working with with someone on projects. And I think that has worked. I've kind of tried to actually think about this this whole thing. Like, is it really, does it need to be two people or what's the kind of the key key thing here? And I don't, I don't think I have an answer, but like, I think it might be just like, like it's good to have more than one people, let's put it this way, to really own and be passionate about something. But then like, if you have too many people really owning and being passionate about something, there's also a price you start paying. So maybe this is kind of a local maximum or actually like a global maximum that is the two people. <laughs> but I don't think it necessarily needs to be one people, uh, sorry, two people, but like one pe- one person is actually most most of the time it's it's too few. And and maybe like just from my own experience, like I've worked on, especially on the board games that I've worked on, like soloing a project, like from very early early concept to almost like a full production type thing just on my own. And I think like they've been okay sometimes, but I've never been at my best when I've been doing that. I felt like all the project where there has been someone else, it's usually have been better. And uh, there's a lot of, I think the reasons, and, and yeah, same goes for the digital development, I would say. Like whenever you have a more than one person working on something, you you get like a different viewpoint. You question each other much more. You kind of maybe, you don't, you you might be missing out something and that the other person is kind of complementing and bringing some other qualities. And I, I think there's a lot of this discussion with diversity, for example, which I think it's it's great. In, in a sense, it's, it's very spot on that like having multiple perspectives on something is really beneficial. But then I think that the other kind of challenge with this type of like a big teams and with different opinions coming together I think if you can't find this common thread, like you are pushing to the same direction, I think that is a very, that's a difficult situation. It's very hard work on product if many people are seeing it from a very different lens. So I think more opinions, more diversity, the better, but you need to be sure that you're pushing to the same direction as a team. And that's also super important. So that's a balancing act, I think. And maybe most of the time, like two people, is the right amount, but I don't think mm. necessarily it needs to be. I, I could see a team where there's a three or four or or the, even the whole team somehow magically align to the same direction and, and really sharing the vision well. And I think that could work as well. Yeah. I think there's there are more ways than two, but yeah, definitely not one for these really hard things where it's a lot of mental heavy lifting and things like that happening. Yeah. And of course, it's more fun to share things. So if, if you have a, something that you are sharing, you are not only responsible for it. It's it's more fun to work on something, of course, as well. It is, it is. Another topic that's close to what you've been 
doing in your career is system design. I don't think it gets covered enough in all the content that is posted about game development, which is a shame because I think it's it's one of those reasons why some free-to-play games are so legendary and they work so well as live services because you create an interesting game when you have a really well-worked, novel, surprising system. Is there innovation in system design still happening? What do you think? Definitely. And I think there should be more and there's a definite room for more. And of course, that is a space I'm I'm interested in myself as, as well. I know it's always hard to define the words exactly. And I think people might, when they say system design, they might also mean different things. For some people, it's just more like a balancing or or some people, it's actually think about the sessioning and all of that stuff. But I, I, I'll take a few examples. And these are, of course, from my kind of previous, previous ex- experience, which I've experienced myself or seen seem very close by. And I think like, for example, Clash Royale, one of the biggest innovations there was the how you would get the rewards, like being always able to play the game and then have the chess system that that kind of you get the rewards by playing, but they are kind of capped how much how many rewards you can get. I think that's very kind of fresh new idea and uh, open up a way. It's kind of mindset change in a sense. I don't it has been implemented in many ways after that, like in different variations. And But I think the core idea that was very innovative and, and gave a lot of more space for different games to work on, on different ways. And of course, like maybe it was done somewhere else, but and I wasn't part of doing that, so I can say it from... But I think it was cool, like from my point of view, I think it was the, one of the greatest things in that game, how it changed that mentality. And I take another example where I was more involved, which was the Brawl Stars. And for there in the beginning, we had this issue that where... We, we knew that like Clash Royale has the challenge that you easily end up just playing with the same cards and upgrading the same stuff and not really being so interested in any new content that, that we put out. And we wanted, in, in when we were doing Brawl, we wanted to really fix that somehow and come up with a system where you would care about all the new content that, you, that we put out and you would be interested to play with the different brawlers. And like the, the way how the trophy system is done it's kind of, I feel like also like a system design change that basically each brawler has their own trophies. And, and it's kind of when you start with a new brawler, you always start from zero. And it's very easy to progress on trophies and have fun games and explore the new characters. So kind of the system side is supporting this idea that new content is cool, interesting and fun. And people care about that. I, I'm not saying it's perfect, but like I think these type of you could, I guess, call them innovations. I think they can create a lot of space for new type of designs to to live and so I, I would definitely think and there's plenty of more of course outside our own games but these are just examples i know the best so i would i wouldn't want to mention them but like i think there's a lot of more opportunities on this space as well to do something completely new and be innovative on the system side for sure yeah how how would that look like that okay you're you're maybe as not experienced in doing systems design but how should a game team realize that this is a place where they could do innovation. They could look into ideas versus like trying to, to get to a point where, okay, the game seems to be working. But mm-hmm. hey, there's this thing called system design, which we yeah. haven't really talked about at all yeah, yeah. enough. We're just copying maybe Clash Royale's meta systems. 
Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think like the system design needs to be in the very early core development, to be honest. At least like in my experience, it's always been. And I, I think it usually starts with this question. In, you have some question in mind or some problem in mind you want to solve. Like for class, class, class Royale case, it was something like, okay, we don't want to implement the energy system because like that feels bad. And for the player's point of view, we want the players always to play the game. But then how how should we kind of see the, the problem of giving rewards? Because we don't want to give rewards all the time. So there, there needs to be, a, like, if you play, I don't know, 10 hours a day, like, it's better for, for many purposes to try to pace the sessioning so that you don't, there's kind of a limit how much you can meaning, meaningfully play the game so that you don't play it uh, maybe 10, 10, 10 or tens of hours per day. And it's kind of unhealthy in many ways. So, like, I think that was the proper, I don't know, but, like, probably the initial team's idea, like there's a problem and then could there be a solution to this problem? Like, could there be another way to do this sessioning and giving rewards and letting players to play the game? And I would guess like that probably led to that that innovation. And in Brawl side, I think we had a very specific question in our minds, like how, (laughs) what type of system we should build in order to support player to be interested in all the content and be be kind of interested in experimenting and upgrading and playing and caring about all the brawlers that we gonna we wanted to do and i think if we wouldn't have been able to solve that early on we probably wouldn't have pushed the product further so i think it was one of those almost like existential questions we need to solve it if we want to make this work and uh, it was very early on in the development as one of our focus areas nice yeah i really like this existential problem uh, situations where like you as a team knew that this is an area which needs to be solved to, to put the game out versus, hey, do we scrap the whole project if we can't f- come up with this solution? Yeah. Do you think, like, is that something that teams should think about when there's also pressure about killing projects early if they're not you know, good enough? I think maybe it's too black and white to say that it was actually like a totally existential question, but at least what it did was that it gave us a lot of confidence that, hey, we have a new solution on this, or we, at least from our point of view, it felt like a new solution, how we can tackle this issue. So mm. even if there's some worries on the other side of the of the spectrum, or other side of the game, like maybe we were worried about controls and all the different things there, but at least we know that, hey, this part is well covered. We have a solid plan and it, it gives us confidence to push forward. Without that, we would have less confidence. Maybe the decision would have been different. But I think in yeah. game development, it's never black and white. It's very hard to say what's the what's the formula or what the rules should be. I think in the end, if you are doing something a bit more experimental and there's not a good reference game for it, in the end, it becomes a decision done by intuition and gut feeling. And that, that is just very hard to formulate anyhow. Mm. Like you've been in your career seeing a lot of projects where it has not been easy to say, make sense to kill now or like go forward a bit more like sometimes it's like you need years to actually like know for sure does it make sense to continue or not like what have you learned about those kind of processes where the teams need to make kind of decisions i think like what i really wanted to ask here is like what kind of decision making process should you have in these teams especially thinking about killing killing stuff Mm. Yeah, it's a it's tough question. I, in the end, of course, you can only know once the players play it and you see the data. That's the that's the place where 
it is kind of easiest to make the killing in a sense because you have real data. And before that, that it's I don't know if there's any any one kind of good solid way to do it. It's more I think like just trying to be open, open about the game in your in your mind. Like let others play it, see how they play it, see how you feel yourself, see if the team is excited about it. Just try to yeah listen to the team, listen to yourself. And be honest about it. And uh, but sometimes, yeah, I think it is impossible to be honest. And then you just need to give it to players and see the real data, and mm. then make a killing. Yeah, I remember one project in my career where it was like the project was not doing that well, and uh, like playtests were all sort of not going that great. And we actually changed the person who's running the design and who had the game in them in a sense like what it's supposed to be and then spent four weeks iterating and it immensely improved how the game was working but i'm i'm thinking about the the way that these small teams which have a lot of independence to operate like how should the design work be should it be one person should it be a group of people who are looking at the features Mm -hmm. Um, what do you think probably it depends in my experience I like to myself. I like to own a lot of the design space myself because it's then you can keep things all in your. In, you can understand everything and you understand how things are related. Mm. Of course, like the yeah. So it, in a sense, like I think optimally in a, in a way, like if one or two people could all own the whole design and really, if one people owns the design, in a sense that's the best because like that person can then understand how everything connects to each other games are kind of these holistic experiences and and there's like a lot of benefits from that but of course as we talk about these pairs and so on sometimes it's good to have a lot of diversity in this kind of questioning and thinking so you get some benefits if there's multiple people working on the same design but then the problem becomes that you you kind of shares you own parts of it and the other owns part of it and then you need to make sure that you're really talking to each other and you understand what you are building together or if it's even more spread out, I think then the challenges grow. But of course, if the genre is more established, there's more reference games out there. I think that kind of distributed design and product ownership, in a sense, could work much better. But especially if you're going blind with the experimental game, I think it's, in a sense, makes a lot of sense. It's more more peaked or there's like a few people actually owning it. And I, But um, yeah, so from I'm a really big believer in this holistic design idea that like free-to-play games, they, are, they need to... You need to understand the player's experience, but you need to understand the economy. You need to understand the monetization. You need to understand the pacing. You need to understand everything. And they're all tied together. And if you start splitting it up too much, there's, there's like there can be a lot of challenges because like then you just don't, it's hard to get a good picture if on the whole game and no one really owns the whole experience. So, so it, yeah. That makes total sense, yeah. By the way, one one addition on your, which I think it is an interesting topic, which was about the kind of killing products early thing, and I think I think it's also there's a lot of kind of kind of company structural things which can affect these decisions, and I think this is something maybe it's not so so much talk about like you need to have the company environment to be something where the killing makes sense, and I think like creating that type of culture is very difficult. There can be a lot of these situations where people kind of subconsciously don't think about killing because like there might be some reasons why if they kill it you know they might they might be going to a different project or they 
they might need to do something else. So creating that environment where it's actually safe to kill. And I think it needs to trust that the people who are making those decisions, they, they know that they can start a new project or, or like they are opportunities that make sense. Otherwise, there's this subconscious idea that I want to stick to this project because I don't know what's going to happen after I we kill it. And creating that environment, I think it's super important if you want to really leverage that type of experimentation. Yeah, that actually leads me into some a question that I think a lot when, when it comes to this people's minds of, hey, what happens if we kill this to, to my job and work? What do you think about having a, a group of people who's the new projects people versus the people who are the, the live teams and the working on the existing titles? How do you make that, that balance work in a way where it, it's more, the most fair that it can be? Mm. Yeah, I, I guess ideally the people, there's like a different, people have different interests and different skill sets and aligning them in an optimal way, I think it's always the best idea. So if some people are perhaps more interesting about experimenting new stuff and some people are more and better supporting an existing title, for example, I think that if you can align those interests, that's always a bit best. It is more about like what, like how do you manage expectations for people who are maybe a bit later in, in their you know, time in, in game development where they feel that they should have the option to actually do the work of holding the vision in a small group of people one to two versus them going back into into working on existing games like how do you balance all those expectations and everything in a way that it, it feels fair i don't know <laughs> i would hope that if people come if like if the mindset is more about like making great things and understanding where you are good at and then if everyone shares that feeling I think you can avoid a lot of that that type of politics or discussion or expectation management. Right. It's more like it makes sense for someone to work on some things and, and like everybody knows it. And if you have that type yeah. of environment, that I think that's the best. You don't have to even, you know, talk about it. <laughs> like if someone, some people have great ideas and they want to contribute and you clearly see that they can, I think like definitely then the opportunity should be given and people can kind mm. of push for things. And, but I think that's the best if it happens naturally. And there's, mm. and if the, if the main goal for the company or team is to make great games, of course you want to leverage that. You and if you have this shared feeling and shared common idea that what we are doing is not trying to, you know, I don't want to do something just because I want to create something. I want to make great games. And if someone has great idea or if someone is is pushing something that makes totally makes sense, I'm all up for it. It doesn't like personally. I don't think like idea needs to come from me, for example. And if everyone shares that feeling, then it things happen very organically and naturally. Like people can contribute and and they should. And if they have good ideas and uh, and I think like that leads naturally for people to leading teams or or like starting new project if they have the skills for it. Yeah, that's a really good good approach for anybody to think about. You have a background in board gaming. How do you think a video game designer should approach learning from board gaming and to apply things from board gaming to making video game design? Yeah, there's there's multiple things to I think to mention here. I would say like in the end, game design is a lot about it's kind of same primal things in all of whatever is the medium whatever is the platform you're working on i think some of these fundamentals apply and the power of prototyping in your head i think that is just something that you learn by doing and i think board games in general they are very good playground to perfect that skill or not perfect but improve your skill in, in that like just you can in the morning you can you can create 
have an idea in the afternoon you can create a prototype and in later in the evening you can test it out and and uh, maybe perhaps during the night you can kill it and the next day start over right so the iteration cycle for you is super fast and you can yeah make your improve your skills on on that part i think that's to me that's the biggest benefit of working with board games that it's so darn fast and you can control everything yourself then i but there are other things which i feel are powerful like this is more like a philosophy on my mind but like on my own philosophy regarding towards games but i'm really big believer in this simple rules creating a lot of like depth and, and mastery for the players and because the board games are are something where players need to enforce all the rules you need they need to they need to learn the rules they need to enforce them they need to use the ui in cards or tokens or whatnot they there's no like shortcuts or some assistance the computer can provide you or guide you you really need to trust the player to take care of all of that. That kind of somehow forces you to think how I'm able to do this in the simplest way possible that makes sense and kind of the cleanest design, I guess you could say. I'm not saying all board games are the most cleanest designs, but I think it kind of naturally puts you into the mindset that you try to remove all the extras and really try to make it as simple and, and elegant as possible. And that type of mindset, I think, it also leads to great games in any platform. I think many of the modern games, they kind of suffer. If I look at them as a game designer, they, I think they suffer from this over-complex mechanics and, and kind of non-transparent mechanics that players just don't understand. They're more like a, uh, simulations, or but not like games that are really transparent and clean. So I think there's a lot of learnings you can take from that point of view. And that's why I think Pretty much all the designers, I think they should play play more play board games and design their own. I think it's a very good practice to to improve your skills in many ways. What are some of the your favorites right now that you are playing and looking into out of board <laughs> games? Yeah, that's that's a tricky one. Well, my all time favorite is Race for the Galaxy. It's one of these card games by Tom Lehman. It's already a over ten years old game, maybe fifteen years old. But what I like love about it is this idea that. It's very simple and fast. It packs like a lot of interesting decision in almost like 20 minutes of gameplay. And it's every time you play the game, it's very different. Like the, you need to adapt to different situations. So it is a game where you have like a lot, lot of depth in a game, but also a lot of luck in a game. I think these two axes are separate. So, and I actually like to work on games which kind of have bit of both so there's a lot of adaptation a lot of interesting random things happening but there's also a lot of skill involved how you navigate those those new environments so that is a kind of design space i usually want to be myself and i really love that game because it kind of makes that it, it lives in that space for sure mm. just thinking about like your background there in board gaming moving to to video games design and development is there a way to already like notice that hey this is an area where it's it makes sense to specialize so that when you take over the video game role and you start making those kind of games let's say free to play mobile games what are the what is the mindset that you want to have to actually embrace then something that is not in front of you physically but it's more, you know, there's social layers, there's all sorts of things like live services, all that stuff. So that, okay, like you're playing board games, you're figuring things out, but how do you adapt that in a creative way to actually like create great, great video games? Mm. 
I'm a very curious person. I want to always learn more. And I think like this, every time there's a new opportunity, it, it is a challenge, but I, I feel like excited about the challenge and trying to solve it. And so I think it's maybe more about that mindset. So when I started working on free-to-play games, I immediately saw that, hey, whoa, there's a lot of these cool new aspects related to this. And like even, even them creating game that lasts for ever, basically, like that game has an infinite gameplay to it. I think that's a fascinating and super difficult challenge to solve, how to create an economics or system systems that work and support this endless type of gameplay. That was a challenge that I don't think was was there for board games. It, mm. it is a very different environment in that respect. But I, I thought the challenge is very exciting and jumping on that and trying to leverage that as much, much as possible, I think felt really cool to me. So maybe it's more about this mindset of being open and, and really seeing the possibilities with the different restriction or like a different yeah every, every platform is different and i think there's mm. some strength weaknesses in trying to really push the strengths to the maximum and see also like what are the weak the, the difficult challenges with this platform I, I think like embracing all of that great stuff there and trying to push that forward i think that's that's important and that's a mindset yeah like thinking about the people i've interacted with i think it is like when you have a career in video games and then there's live service all of a sudden where you need to think about what the player will be doing in year two, year three, like how does the, how do the system scale? Like, I think that's a in, extremely interesting challenge. And I think a lot of people are still transitioning towards understanding and thinking about that whole, whole yeah. aspect. Yeah. For me, maybe more help would, well, I've been always like a little bit like analytical person and my background is in physics and math. So it's very natural for me to also think stuff in terms of, you know, functions or, <laughs> or spreadsheet mm. or whatnot. I, I think that type of thinking helps a lot where you're, when you're doing these like very complicated systems or understanding how, how things would work in, in one year and how players would kind of what's the player experience? I think you can use that type of tool. So I would say like maybe part of that was being, has been helpful. That part of my past has been helpful in in understanding those things. Wow, that's amazing. So functions, you mean like what is part of the game core loop at a certain stage of the game and things like that? Things, yeah, I, I think like, you know, doing some algorithm designs, algorithmic design, or then just mapping like the economies on with a few parameters. I think that's very handy. It's not like, I don't think it's a silver bullet or anything, but it just helps you keep things organized and help you yeah. to design stuff in, in a proper way that you don't really need to test. Like the testing out free-to-play game economy is super difficult because you would need to play years. So you need to have some other ways to get a grip, like how does the experience change when players will play it? And I think it's kind of mm-hmm. combination of data points and then having a good system and Usually that's somehow done with a functions or, or number, or like a good, good systematic way to control that economy. And I think the mindset of having that kind of perspective on it is very helpful. Mm. I wanted to ask a, a question still about game creation from you. Like, what are you most excited about in these kind of free-to-play live service games right now? It is more like a hobby. I, I see these games as a hobbies, and I think that's very exciting. You can be like a big part of someone's life and someone li- someone free time and what yeah that's that's very fascinating to me and very exciting so it's not like you do something and they experience it once and then they forget it forget about it you're actually building something that's a big part of their daily experience and i think it comes with some responsibilities but also like with some 
opportunities that hasn't been there maybe. For example, with board games, of course, you can make a game that kind of becomes a, <laughs> somehow uh, famous or, or people remember it and go back to it. I think that's awesome as well. But with free-to-play game, you can really maybe bring that to the next level. So I think that's cool. Mm, it is. Hey, final question before we go to the actual final questions. What topic do you often think about but don't talk about necessarily? Well, I love all kind of philosophical questions. So those are naturally something that I, I think about. But if in terms of what relates to maybe a discussion here, I think one thing which I think about is like applying some of these system design ideas to, you know, systems like politics, financial system, governments. I think when people are designing how how our countries should be run, I think they should control uh, ask opinions from system designers. I think like I, I see some of these challenges in life that like all the systems become more and more complicated and and more and more difficult to to see. But like I I'm a big believer in having a simple clear rules that uh, offer a lot lot depth to them. So <laughs> this is something I've been recently thinking about. Mm. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's really cool. Hey, Togo, can you mention a book, maybe even a favorite book, and why would that be a, a favorite? I know you you read a lot, so this is an interesting question. Yeah, I, the book I would pick, there's of course plenty of different topics I, I, I would want to pick here, but I think like maybe this has, been, has, has had the biggest impact to me in a very long time. The book is called Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. I think it's a it's a somehow very beautiful book. It has so many different things in it, which are interesting. But yeah, the whole concept of having this concept of having system one, system two thinking, it's kind of this fast and intuitive and slow and analytical part of your brain. I think it's very good concept that you can kind of internalize and use in different ways. And But there's a bunch of other stuff in the book, like anchoring and all of these great kind of concepts that it, it introduces. And I think that had a big, big impact in me. Mm. It's a good one, yeah. Do you have a story that has shaped you in how you approach your work today? Yeah, I'm not a big storyteller or I myself, and I I'm really yeah I'm I'm really bad remembering stories or even telling them. But maybe this like overall just observing people and how how people work. And I think this has been a, one observation I've been recently thinking and kind of like a, I don't know. There's no, not one story, but story related. So <laughs> I want to mention it. So yeah. I, I've been thinking a lot about this, like when people do something and they are good at something and, and they there's the kind of traps involved. And I've been see, observing this and seeing that happening and, and also seeing it happen to trying to avoid it myself. But I, I like you know this concept that people when they they, for example, become a good good in, in some they have a good track record in companies or they do something, then they become managers and suddenly they they kind of they were maybe specialists in some field and suddenly they are managing people and they are not don't have time to work on the stuff they were really good at. So like I think that's one of these potential traps that you can fall into like professionally and and so on. So and or if you let's say you become financially very well, you have a good financial situation, you start investing a lot of things and then you suddenly you you are putting a lot more time on things that don't actually wasn't your competence but was something else. So I'm more like. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking this a lot and and I don't have unfortunately one story to this, but I'm more like trying to have this, I've been trying to think this concept. Maybe everyone has these traps that they will fall in, in their lives. And, and it's very important to try to see them beforehand and avoid those traps and really be, you know, paranoid about those things and try to organize your life so that 
you avoid avoid them and really can concentrate on the things that you are good at. So this is yeah not a story but something that has has been on my mind and kind of related what happens around me. So yeah, yeah, that's a really really good one. As the final question, you're starting a, a new game studio, so I, I definitely want to send great people your way. So what is a good place for people to reach out to you or Sebdar and hear about the the new studio? Yeah, so our studio studio is called Stellar Core. We are we are an independent studio. I so. We are at the moment putting putting our web presence there. So hopefully, when this this is is out there, this podcast, I, I think hopefully you can find us from from internet. <laughs> so Stellar Core is the name. We we should be on social channels and we should have a website. So check it out. I think that's the, maybe the best place. We are we are kind of as a team. We are really hoping to create this environment where we can experiment on, on new cool things and f- focus on have like several teams working on new great potential games and uh, take them from there. But yeah, that's the place to check Stellar Core on the internet. That's good. I'll put the the links into the the description and everything. So people should find you. Hey, Togo, this was so good. So many questions. Like we just need to continue talking about this. There's (laughs) more and more things to uncover at some point. So maybe maybe do another one in a few years or something. Yeah, sounds good. This was fun. Thanks. All right. Take care, man. See you out there. Take care. Thanks. Bye. 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 Thanks again to my guests for joining the show. If you have time, please go and sign up to our newsletter at elitegamedevelopers.com slash newsletter. Since every Friday morning, I send out a piece on gaming startups, what I've experienced recently as an investor, Things that I'm seeing and thinking about, I really want to share a lot to you guys. So if you have time, please subscribe to the newsletter. That would be awesome. And I'll see you next week on the podcast. Take care. Bye-bye.